Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to hear your word, Father, that you didn't leave us in darkness, Father, that, but that you've drawn us into your light, Lord, so that we can see clearly, so that we can be known and know you clearly, know each other clearly, Father God. And I pray that your word would be spoken clearly this morning in the power of your spirit, Father God, not with eloquent words, Father, but just with you being put on display, Father, in the fullness of who you are. So grant us grace and mercy to hear and to retain what we hear with a joyful, obedient heart this morning. Um, I pray that I would get out of the way and you would speak in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, actually, one more announcement I did forget. Next month, October 17th through the 19th, we have, and I say we as Faithful Fishers and some of, the, some of the people here at the church, we've agreed to be a part of an event called Awaken the Dawn. And it's going to be 50 hours straight through the night and everything, 50 hours of prayer and worship and just sharing the gospel. And it's going to be up on, up on the hill up with the cross. And I'm just going to be, uh, can you turn off the slide for me, brother? Uh, I'm just going to be honest. A lot of that stuff I don't get real excited about. I don't get excited about big events. It's just, you know, it takes me, I got to get warmed up to something. But um, a good friend of mine is bringing it down and it is an exciting event. And so I've been talking to her about it and, you know, just such an opportunity to get together with the body as a whole from all over different places to worship. And more than anything, my interest is really dedicating a big portion of my time over these three days to just cry out to the Lord for this city, right? To cry out, like I said, uh, those dark clouds. The last part I forgot to tell you as we, I was ending my prayer um, after a couple of days of this, the Lord kind of drained out all this feeling of mourning and filled it with this boldness and this just this just inner in strength, integrity. I can't describe it real well. And we just begin to pray that God would just break down strongholds, that he would send down his angels and, and wage war. And the last vision I got was that all of this area of dark clouds and just a beam of light breaking through. And uh, so we know, we know his, his work is done. His will is perfect. And, um, you know, the war's already won. And we're just waiting to see the glory of it. And so just be partnered with us in prayer for that event. It's called Awaken the Dawn and for our city as we go out and minister. To, today we're going to be talking about true religion. True religion. We're going to be reading through James 1, 21 through 27. So if you want to join me, we'll go ahead and read through this passage here. Starting in verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious, uh, religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this 
to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You know, there's a, there's a pretty common saying, especially nowadays, that, you know, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah? Anybody ever said that? Probably. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those funny things. Uh, Baylor loves those type of statements, don't you? Don't you, Baylor? No, he hates, he hates religious platitudes with a passion. But it's one of those funny things that, you know, I, I get where they're coming from. It's not a, re- you know, Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I get it right? And it's probably a good thing that some people need to hear, because it is. It's based on a relationship with the living God. However, I think there's probably a lot of young people that would be really surprised to find out that that's not in the Bible, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's not, is that third, third Corinthians? Let me see. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what, what are some other, some fun ones? God will never give you more than anything you can handle. That's, that's not quite uh, in the scriptures. But this idea of religion and relationship. It's funny, people, they, they grab on to these catchy little phrases, right? And again, there's such a good heart, and I think there's even a good point behind a lot of them. But in essence, most of them are just kind of wrong. And they end up creating a wrong view of who God is. And so even this idea of um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. People just take that and they run with it. And I, I know many, many people who they can remember all these little one-liners, you know, God helps those who help himself. Not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Um, that is not, that's not a verse, I'm sorry. And it's funny how we can remember all these lines, but we fail to memorize the scriptures where the whole truth is present. And it's really interesting as we focus on, on this particular one, religion, not a relationship, because the Bible never says that Christianity is not a religion. In fact, to have this idea that Christianity is somehow not a religion, I think is, is quite unfaithful to our Lord and to the scriptures. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about true religion, true religion. Now, does anybody know what the definition of religion is? Anybody? So when you look it up, it's, it's basically there's a set format of disciplines, worship, and ceremonies. If you have a set format of disciplines, worship, and ceremonies, that is defined as a religion, especially if those things are worshiping um, a god and not... Well, I guess you can worship anything. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I just saw an article the other day about uh, Alaska passed a law to allow other religious organizations to be part of, like, public gatherings and city hall meetings. And there was a guy with a strainer on his head um, who was the, the priest. What is that? There's a, there's a, a religion that worships the spaghetti monster. The universal spaghetti monster. I'm serious. This, I'm not making this up. And there was a guy in a long sleeve shirt with a metal strainer on his head that was allowed to open the city hall prayer. It's um, just ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. So I want to propose to you that Christianity is very much a religion and that it's very important to understand that. It's very important to understand that. Now, if we go back a little bit farther, even than that saying, there is this old and very false belief that Paul 
in Peter, I'm sorry, Paul and James are actually at odds with each other. There's a lot of people to this day that think that there's some contradiction in the scripture that Paul preaches grace and that James preaches works. In fact, Luther, Martin Luther thought that James should just get kicked on out of the canon because he was speaking contrary to the salvation by grace. Really? And that's, yeah, an epistle of straw. That's right. And that's just such a false view. In all reality, Paul and James are preaching just two sides of the same coin. So let's just dig into this a little bit, and I'll flush this out as we go. So we're actually going to start back at verse 22. 21 was kind of just a a warm-up from last week. And James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now it's interesting that he says that if you're, if you're here hearing the word today, if you grew up in church and you've heard the word of God, if you've been instructed in how to live, but you're not acting that out, he doesn't say that Satan has deceived you. He doesn't say that the pastor has deceived you. He says if you're a hearer of God's word, but you're not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And that's very interesting. It's very important. You know, if we back up to the last couple of weeks as we've been going through James, he first says, hey, if, if you have faith and you need wisdom, you simply ask God believing and he'll give it to you. But if you don't have any authentic faith, don't expect anything from the Lord. You're a double, uh, double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Then in um, 12 through 18, James tells us that each person is tempted and is led astray. We talked about how that word tempted and trial, it's actually the same Greek word, and it actually um, denotes this, this pulling of the heart away from what's right and holy. It's really what it's talking about there. And it helps us kind of understand that. And he says, when that happens, that pulling of your heart, none of you can say that that was God somehow putting you in this position to be pulled. No, if you were pulled, again, he doesn't say it's because of your, your friend. It's not because of the devil, right? I mean, it is. He's, he's part of that. But we can't blame everything on him. He says, if you've been pulled, you've been pulled by your own desires. Your own desires and enticed. You've allowed yourself to look at that lure, look at it all shiny, and ignore the hook, right? And really, James is coming back to that same point here. He's he's referring back to that. That's how this happens, guys. When we see the enticement in the world, when we get pulled astray, when we end up off track in dealing with discipline and consequences, if you've been a hearer of the word, we have no excuse Because we should be living according to these standards. If you hear the word but you don't do it, you deceive yourself. Back when Blueprint, our our Wednesday service first started, um, 
and it was me all on my lonesome, you know, no, no leadership team, and it was here, it was a, just a Wednesday night service, it's now broken up to a men's and women's service, but I remember, I remember preaching, and, and um, I lost where I was going with that, that's not good. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I remember preaching and talking about this quite a bit because there's this thing that happens in church. And it's, it's what's so unfortunate about the higher education, seminaries and different things. Not to say it always happens like with everybody, but um, there's, this, there's this place where we can get in where, you know, we come into a church gathering. We hear the pastor preach. He says all the stuff we've heard for the last 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever, and we say, yes, Lord, hallelujah, amen, and we all give each other a big spiritual high five because we agree that these things are true, but then we leave the church and ignore the commands. And so there's this place where we actually can deceive ourselves and saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm religious, I'm in step with the Spirit of God, Right? I'm in a good worshiping relationship with Jesus because I know his words and I believe them. And I believe them. Except that Jesus equates your belief, your faith with obedience. With obedience. Romans 1, 4 through 5. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to teach the obedience that comes from faith. Faith must produce action, right? It must produce action. And so he says, if man, if we're just hearing, but we're not doing, you know what you're like? We're like someone who sees themselves in a mirror and you study and intently, especially back then, you know, their mirrors weren't all perfect. They had to really kind of look and gaze and, and work a little bit to get a good picture. And ah, oh, there I am. And then you turn around, you walk away, and you completely forget what you look like. You completely forget who you are. And you know what? As Christians, that's, that's very easy to do. Our flesh still exists. We are still pulled. We are still enticed. And you know what? I said what, a week or two ago, Satan's a great salesman. He knows how to shine things up. So he's not absent from that process. He knows. And so there's this constant temptation and trial to simply go back and live in a way that feels right or in a way that, that, well, we grew up and we have this mindset and that just is what it is. It's been one of the, one of the hardest things being a, being a young man and ministering to other people and sometimes even older men and older women, um, obviously wanting to show reverence and honor to them but at the same time, a, a lot of times in the, in the older generations, even as Christians, they'll say, you know, they'll understand what the scriptures say, they'll agree with them, and then they'll say, but, yeah, but, we can't just do this, and we can't just do this, and we can't just let this happen, because there's this mindset that they've grown up with, that they were given by their father of what it means to take care of people a certain way, what it means to be a man, what a family's supposed to look like in their eyes, and there was never a, a confirmation from what we received as children, what we received as good because of society standards to what does Christ say is good? What does Christ say is good? 
You know, Romans 12, 2 talks about being transformed. That we have to be transformed into this image of Christ, correct? Correct? And he says, how does that happen? He says, by the renewing of your mind. And by allowing your mind, that means the way you think and see the world to be changed according to Christ's standards. Then we begin to learn about God's good perfect and pleasing will pleasing will and so he tells us he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror verse 24 for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful here but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does. And so there's this idea that if, if you hear the word, what does the scripture say? If today you hear the word, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. In the days of Korah, where thousands, I can never remember the number, but thousands of people were swallowed up in the earth simply because they rebelled against God's word. Do not harden your hearts. If you hear the word today and God convicts you and he shows you truth, walk in it. Hang on to it. Grip it so tightly that that's all you can think about through the week. Make it your focus. Because if we turn away, if we become like Peter and his discouragement, we just go back to fishing. We just go back to, well, this is how I know life is supposed to be, so I'll just walk in this and just hope God blesses me. No. We forget who we are. We forget that the God who made you, who loved you, who sent his own son to die for you, bought you at a price. And that he has good works for you, which he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. We forget who we are. There's a song that I've, I've been listening to so much lately. I love it. Thank you, Jason, for introducing it to me. And it's by a, song, or a band called Is La Vista Worship. Is that how you say it? And it goes, and I don't live for myself anymore. And that's, it just repeats that for a while. I don't live for myself anymore. I can't remember the whole thing, but there's a little tune there. And there you go. And I don't live for myself anymore. Okay, we about to, whew, okay. Anyways, and it's a great song, and I find myself just playing it over and over in the car because that's the heart and the mindset we're supposed to have. I don't live for myself anymore. Not as a, oh, I guess I can't live for myself anymore. No, as a joy, we live. We live for the almighty God who makes all things right, who redeems his people, who has gone to prepare a place for those who love and fear him. What a joy we should have in that. I don't live for myself anymore. Do you know how empty and broken life was when I lived for myself? Do you know how foolish my actions were? Do you know what the fruit of my life was when I lived for myself? It was death and darkness and mayhem. It was confusion and every vile thing. It's funny, that's how, that's how James is going to describe earthly wisdom very soon. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for the king of kings. It's a great and mighty thing. But we can forget who we are. And so he's not just 
trying to make us, he's telling us, this is how you don't do that. He says, you need to look intently into the law of liberty and continue in it. That phrase, to continue in it, doesn't mean just to continue to gaze, but it means to continue to walk according to that standard, to walk according to that law of liberty. You know, philosophically speaking, at this time, there was a lot of talk in the Roman world about freedom. Freedom from um, certain bondages, certain constructs of thinking in the Christian world. Obviously, freedom from sin, you know. But for us, we've experienced this freedom where we're no longer in a place where we're bound to serve the flesh. We're no longer bound by by having to just see the world, oh, well, this is just the only way I know how to live. This is just the only way I know how to think. Well, this is just who I am. I, I hate hearing that. Well, that's just who I am. Well, stop it. Stop that. <laughs> Change. This is who you are. Who the Lord says you are, that's who you need to be. And if you will simply surrender to that, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be it. Because the Holy Spirit already is the fullness of who you are supposed to be. And the scriptures just tell us to walk in it. But James is encouraging us here to look into the law of liberty, to look into the person of Christ, and to walk in those things. We're going to break away just real quick, uh, go back to our, our talk about Paul and James. Both of them are really saying the same thing. So, there is this problem that Paul was trying to address specifically to the Jewish people, specifically to the Pharisees, even to the pagans, that, hey, your religion, your worship, your sacrifices, you know, the way you wear your clothes, the way you sound your trumpets to give money, none of that is going to save you. You cannot be right enough before God to get right with God. You just can't do it. And Paul is primarily preaching, you need to repent from a dead religion to a true and living faith. Because if you do all the religious activities in the world, but you deny Christ in your heart, it avails you nothing. And so there was this movement away from a false religion into a true faith. And now James is just catching us on the other side of the coin. And he's saying, hey, if you say you have faith and you say you believe and you, oh yeah, I'm so, you know, have this closeness to the Lord, but you don't do what he says. If there's no discipline, if there's no true worship, if there's no fellowship and ceremony of your life before the Lord, can you say there's any faith at all? And so James is just pulling us back from this side now and saying, hey, hey, Get away from the false faith and get back into a true religion. Because true faith produces true religion. When you read the, the teachings of Jesus, when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, doesn't he say there's some things we should be doing? Hey, if someone asks to borrow a gift, if they want to sue you for your, for your uh, shirt, you know, give them your cloak also. Right? Go the extra mile. Love unrelenting to the people around you. Sacrifice yourself for your brother. Paul teaches us to have the mind of Christ. There's a discipline 
and staring into the commands of Christ and continuing in them that produces true religion. And it's a true religion born out of a true faith. If we don't have a true faith, you have neither, <laughs> right? But there is a set of worship that pleases God, and it's an obedience that comes from faith. I want to turn real quick, and I'm just going to read through this. Um, I'm so thankful that James writes, just like a lot of people in the Bible, where I don't have to expound too much on what he says. It's pretty simple. Let's read uh, James chapter 2, and it's already set up there, brother, 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, depart in peace, be warm and filled, and you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith, in quotations, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God good. You do well, but even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I always think about David when I read that too because he came and did a, helped us do a conference a couple years ago for some missionaries and he was up there with a the saxophone and singing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So James is not by any means saying that your works will save you. But he is saying that by your works, we might be able to tell that you're saved. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, this is back in verse 25 of chapter 1, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, thinks you have some, some dedication, some devotion to the Lord and your faith, but you can't even bridle your own tongue. Again, notice what he says, but deceives your own heart deceives your own heart. This one's religious religion is useless. But pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> it's not a religion, it's a relationship. The Bible does not tell us that we should have no form of religion. In fact, it tells us the opposite. It says, no, you need to have a pure and a perfect 
religion. You need to have a, a, a life that's so centered around the worship and the, the discipline of serving Jesus that it transforms everything about your life. That by your faith, the good works of God are produced. Because Jesus, who knows that Jesus is still at work today? Jesus is still at work today. Jesus did not leave so his work could stop and our work could start. No, no, no. Jesus left so his spirit could fill every one of his believers so that his work could continue in actually greater measure through the church. And as he says to give, and as his spirit wants to give, so we must give. As the, the character of God is the defender of orphans and widows, so we need to look into that and continue into that and defend and provide for those in need. As he tells us to serve and to sacrifice, to love, so we must continually offer ourselves, Romans 12:1, as a living sacrifice to God. True faith equals a true religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We're going to end with that, um, with that last part of the verse there. You know, being unspotted from the world is a pretty heavy task as long as we have to fulfill it in ourselves. But here's the thing, the, the sermon title for last week was As He Is. And we were talking about that when we get still and silent before the Lord, and we learn to receive from Him, as we see God more clearly, we become, excuse me, we become like Him. And so in the same way, as we conform ourselves to Christ's command, as we allow the Spirit to move and we be, we're, allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, rather than being idle. What does Paul say? If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Seek the Lord, obey his commands, and allow him to sanctify you from the world. That is what pure and undefiled religion looks like. Guys, let's pray, and let's ask Jesus for his help in this this week. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you that your word, Father, has been given to us, that we can know your ways, that we can seek you and we can find you when we seek you with our whole hearts. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would just disclose supernaturally, Lord, individually, corporately, through your word, what our purpose is, Father. That you show us, Father God, how can we serve our neighbors, Lord, how can your power be manifested in the areas that we're weak? And I pray, Jesus, that our weaknesses, rather spiritually or physically, would not dissuade us from just serving you with a whole heart. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully through this congregation, that you would bless them with an encouragement, Lord, to remember your words and to set their life out before you for you to mold and use as you see fit. And, Lord, I include myself in that prayer. And we thank you, Lord, knowing that you're faithful to the task. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.